Let's pray. That's really good news, Father, here in your life, in your righteousness, in your power, we stand. No guilt in life, no fear in death. Lord, when will these graduates die? You know, some soon, some 80 years from now. So God, grant, I pray now, that what we do together here would serve by the Holy Spirit to hold them to the end. Free from greed, free from lust, free from fear of man, free from unbelief, and given radically to Jesus and his cause. I ask this in his name. Amen. I have two uh, friends, namely Pastor Kempton and David, who are going to help me. Would you guys go ahead and give the graduates this little object lesson? This is a dollar bill, brand new, never been spent. And uh, each of you gets one. And I would like you to hold it in your hand until I'm finished. Would you do that? Little little request. Hold it, feel it in your hand. Now, what I'm doing in these few minutes is what was done to me 38 years ago this month in Pasadena, California. One of my professors from Fuller Seminary stood up. We had about 200 graduates, and he gave us all a dollar bill. And he preached the sermon, and I'm going to preach. I don't remember what he said, but I'm going to preach my own version of it. Um. And my point is going to be this. Remember, okay, stop looking at the dollar bill and look at me now. <laughs> my, my point is remember the rich young man. That's all I want you to remember. I don't care if you remember anything else I say, just those words. Remember the rich young man. That's all I want you to remember. Now, I took mine home. I was so moved by that sermon 38 years ago. I took mine home. I went and bought a frame about this big, not a hole in the middle frame, but a, just a block of wood that had a nice carved border. I'm not sure what they use them for, but it was a plaque, nothing on it. I glued, a little glue, this in the middle, and then I laminated it, and I cut words out, remember from the newspaper, remember, they're from the rich young man. So they're kind of cockeyed along the bottom. And it's, it has stood on the wall in my study for 38 years. And I was going to bring it and show it to you, and I walked out without it. So I'm sorry if you drop by any time, I'll show it to you. So that's not a requirement. You don't have to do that. But it's not a bad idea. So I, I laminated, I, I just painted over it, you know, with shellac. And that's probably against the law. <laughs> so if they come for me, I will submit. <laughs> so I know you don't have your Bibles with you. I'm going to read that text. I'm going to take it from Matthew, the story of the rich young man. Make a few comments about it. Behold... A man came up to him, to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what 
um, good deed must I, must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. Did you notice the young man said to him, maybe he was 18, give or take a year. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, You'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty or how hard it is, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Okay, that's where we'll stop. He was a young man. So it's relevant for you. He came seeking eternal life. There isn't anything more important for you to have than eternal life because you could be killed tonight. You could die tonight. What will become of you if you die tonight? It's nothing is more important than eternal life for you now while you're young. He sought eternal life through works of the law. Verse 16, behold, a man came up saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He's thinking the way to have eternal life is law keeping. Jesus responds by directing him back to the law. You want to go with the law? Let's go with the law. And said, "Um, which ones? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And then instead of finishing the list and adding all the others, he simply gave the one that sums them all up. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now the man, having heard Jesus turn him back 
to the law and say, okay, you want eternal life by law keeping? Here's the list. And I'll give you the summary statement. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Do that. That, that perfection is what you'll have to do. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. He said, verse 20, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Now, something's troubling this guy because he came asking, how can I have eternal life? Which one do I have to do to have eternal life? And now he says, I've kept those. Now, Jesus is done dealing, done dealing with, with this list business. And here's where Jesus goes. He says, all right. If you would be perfect, which is what you have to be, if that's the way you're going to go. If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Now, the key command there is follow me. Follow me. You want to be perfect? There is one way for Sinners to be perfect. Follow me. Selling what you have and giving to the poor is like, I think the picture in Jesus' mind is something like, he's got a hand and he's got his money in his hand. He's got his money in his hand and he's holding on like this and Jesus is supposed to be in this hand. As his supreme treasure. He's got money in his hand. He's, he's gripping it. And Jesus says, okay, you want to be perfect? You've got to follow me. And in order to follow me, have me, take me into this hand, you've got you to gotta drop that. And where it falls is on the poor. Just don't let it fall on the ground. Divest onto the poor. Now your hand is free. Take me. The young man would not let go of his dollar. When the young, verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful. He went away from what? Jesus. You're supposed to have Jesus in your hand. You're supposed to have Jesus as your treasure. And Jesus says, I will take you. I will take you into my, my band. I will be yours. Just let it go and have me. He, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He walked away from Jesus. And he walked into what? To the rewards of money. He wants his money. And what this can get. This can get a lot. Especially gets power, ego, pleasures, cool things, better things than others have. A lot of good feelings that come from this. And that's what he chose. He chose it. He's walked away from Jesus. You face a massive life choice. Most of you at this point have been governed in your lifestyle pretty much by your, by your parents. Not entirely, but pretty much. What they make, you kind of live with that. And if they are generous with you, you do this. If they don't have much, you do that. And, and now, probably pretty soon, 
You're going to be calling all those shots. You're going to call all these shots. Jesus said, when the man walked away, here's what he said. Truly, I say to you, with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is it so hard to enter the kingdom of heaven or to enter life if you're rich? Why is it so hard? I mean, isn't salvation by faith? Salvation is by faith. Entering the kingdom is by faith, not divesting or having faith. So what's the deal? Why... Why can't a rich man just do faith? Easy, easy. And the reason is because faith is not just trusting Jesus as your Savior. How much rich people would love to paste a Savior on their bank account. And nothing changes. No lifestyle changes. No spending changes. No nothing, but I got a Savior. Home free, in my back pocket, fire escape. Who wouldn't want that? That's easy. Evidently, that's not what's going on here. Because Jesus said it's hard. And the reason it's hard is because that's not what faith is. Is it? No, it isn't. Faith is in Jesus as more than Savior. Trusting Jesus as Treasure, Lord, Counselor, alternative to money. This is our treasure. Now he's our treasure. That was the issue. That was the issue. Faith is faith in him as what? I hope you've been picking that up over the last 18 years, if you've been around. That here at Bethlehem, we talk a lot about treasuring Christ. And it's a code name for believe. It's not like an addition. Like, oh, we got saved by faith, and faith is some kind of other thing that lets you just live like the devil. And then there's this added big thing that serious people get is treasuring Christ. That's not what we've been teaching. Treasuring Christ is faith. Because faith is trusting him as something. What? What he is. And what is he? Infinitely valuable. And so, if you've got a lot of this, and you're holding on to it, and it's supplying so many needs, and it's supplying so many comforts, and so much ego affirmation, then how are you going to open your hand? It's just harder, isn't it? It's harder. That's why God is in the business of knocking props out from under us. We complain when life goes bad. Bad times are not the problem. Good times are the problem. This is the problem. And the more, the bigger the problem. So that's why it's hard. Well, Jesus made it worse, didn't he? He didn't stop there. He didn't say it was hard. He said it was impossible. Read it. Verse um, 
24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, (laughs) they were astonished. This was a theological paradigm shift. They were astonished. Well, who can be saved? They said. And Jesus says in verse 26, with man, it is impossible. It's amazing how many people try to get a camel through a needle's eye. Oh, it was a it was a low gate in Jerusalem, and the camel had to get on his knees so he could get through. That's a baloney. There wasn't any such gate. And camels don't go on their knees anywhere. It's impossible for a camel to get through a needle's eye. That's the point. He uses the word impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it's impossible for everybody to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it it cannot. The mind that is set on the flesh cannot. That's another word for impossible. Cannot please God. You can't make yourself enjoy what you don't enjoy. You, You... You high school graduates know this to the core of your being. You can't make yourself enjoy what you don't enjoy. Church, God, Bible reading, prayer, classical music, whatever. You can't. You can do... Now we're back to the the way that the rich young ruler understands reality. You can do what you don't like to do. Okay? You have a few more weeks of that, maybe. And then it's your shot. It's your call. You can do what you don't like to do, but you can't like what you don't like. Can't like what you don't like. You can't believe what you don't believe. You can't Believe something is true if you think it's not true. Believing is not an act of willpower. Like, I think this is really false, but I will now believe it. Totally impossible. Believing is not like that. Believing is seeing something that's true and putting your faith in it. If you see it as false, you can't believe it. You can't. Can't. Impossible. You can't see anything as beautiful if you think it's ugly. You can't. You can't see something as beautiful if you think it's ugly. Your will can control your actions, but your will does not control your will. A loving heart can produce loving deeds. 
But a loving heart, an unloving heart, cannot produce a loving heart. We're talking can't, 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 can't. Jesus said it is impossible for a man doing this to take Jesus. You love this, you can't love that. You hold to this, you can't hold to that. That's what he's saying. Can't. This is an impossibility. When they heard this, they were astonished. And the answer, of course, as you know, if you're at Bethlehem, is Jesus said, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wills. One night, church is boring, Christians are boring, pornography is compelling, money is really attractive, dinking on my iPhone is all. And in the morning, I'm trembling with fear of hell, and Jesus is looking sweet, and everything about it is changed. It's called the new birth. What happened to the rich young man? Remember the rich young man. Remember the rich young man. What happened to him? I'll read what happened to him in 1 Timothy. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He committed suicide. That's what he did. Meaning he prospered his whole life long with this and left Jesus and perished. So remember the rich young man and don't desire to be rich. Rather, what's the alternative? What should you, what, how should you feel about money? What if riches come? Some of you are probably, most of you are bright enough that you're going to make a lot of money. Bad economy, make a lot of money. Just be smart, right? You know? There's some things that are really hot right now, and they sell like crazy, and people are getting rich. And you may be one of those smart people. Just, bang, you're smart. Produce some little app for the iPhone. Bang! Ten million people can buy it. There you're set, right? Pay, pay 99 cents for it. Now what? Simple answer. Right now, remembering the rich young man, resolve, I will live a wartime lifestyle and give away the rest. Got it? I will live a wartime lifestyle. I'm not going to tell you what that is. All right? And give away the rest. We're not into rules at Bethlehem about 
kind of car you can drive, how many of this you can own and that. But I'm pushing people the other direction than where most are going. Because the world is pushing you that way 24-7. And my voice is very small saying, come on, reel this thing in. Parents, here's, here's what I mean by wartime lifestyle. Ralph Winter described visiting the Queen Mary, which is parked in Long Beach, California, and is a museum today, Queen Mary, because during World War II, it was conscripted and, half a, and was turned into a troop carrier. And so they have it set up today with half as a luxury liner and half as a troop carrier so that you can see the difference between a wartime use of a boat and a luxurious use of a boat. And I'll read you the description. The Queen Mary, lying in repose in harbor at Long Beach, California, is a fascinating museum of the past, used both as a luxury liner in peacetime and a troop transport during World War II. Its present status as a museum, the length of three football fields, affords a stunning contrast between the lifestyle appropriate for peace and war. On one side of a partition, you see a dining room reconstructed to depict peacetime table settings that was appropriate, were appropriate to the wealthy patrons of high culture for whom a dazzling array of knives and forks and spoons held no mysteries. <laughs> On the other side of the partition, the evidences of wartime austerities are in sharp contrast. One metal tray with indentations replaces 15 plates and saucers. Bunks, not just double, but eight tiers high, explain why the peacetime complement of 3,000 gave way to 15,000 soldiers on board in wartime. How repugnant to the peacetime masters this transformation must have been. To do it took a national emergency, of course. The survival of a nation depended on it. The essence of the Great Commission today is that the survival of millions of people depends on its fulfillment. Oh, the joys, I'll tell you, young people, the joys of letting money flow through your hands. Free! And not being like the ads on the airplane magazines. I flew in at 5 o'clock today from Raleigh, North Carolina, because I preached for Sean Cordell this morning in Raleigh, one of our church plants, Treasuring Christ Church. I always do my little culture study on the, on the plane. I hate these magazines. <laughs> And I, I look at them to get myself really mad. <laughs> Several years ago, I wrote this one down, but I brought a fresh one here. You won't believe this, but I'll, I'll read you this one. Here, here's what money does, and here's the way people draw you in away from a wartime lifestyle to a luxurious lifestyle. Always moving up, 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 more cars, more houses, more stuff, more, 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 better, better, better. Watching the Joneses on either side. His suits are, this is right out of a magazine on the airplane. His suits are custom tailored. His watch is solid gold. His office chair is lazy boy. Below the man's picture was this quote. I've worked hard and had my share of luck. My business is a success. I wanted my office to reflect this. And I think it does. For my chair, I choose lazy boy. It fits the image I wanted. If you can't say this about your office chair, isn't it about time you sat in a lazy boy? After all, haven't you been without one long enough? What is that? That is sheer ego. It says, 
you have made it, man. You're, you're, you're pulling down $200,000, $300,000, and your office looks like you make ninety. Come on. Upgrade. Mahogany, lazy boy, big gold watch, new car. Show it. That's what, that's what drives this country. And too many Christians. And I'm saying, go the other direction. Make $300,000. Amen. Praise God. Do it honest. And then live on 60, 70. Dream what you could do with the rest. Make a foundation. That's what we did, right? My books pulled down hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in royalties. I saw that coming 20 years ago. What did we do? I don't take a dime of royalties. I am scared stiff of getting rich. Do you know what to do to us on a staff if all of us started pulling in all of our honorariums and all of our royalties and we built bigger houses, moved to nicer suburbs, drove nicer cars, and you know what the world would say? That's their God. Of course they have church. Look what it gets them. Gotta go the other direction. I'm pleading with you. Go the other direction so that people wonder, what's your treasure if it's not what mine is? And then you can tell them. His name is Jesus. Read these magazines and weep. Okay. I wish you could see this shoe. This is a lady's shoe. I'm sure there are things in here for men. There it is. You can look at it afterwards. It's about a five-inch heel at the back. And it's got a little, little funny face on it with eyes and band at the top goes around the ankle and a little shoelace that ties at the back. And it looks to me like some kind of red alligator or something like that. and Wooden bottom. And, and it costs... $2,190. And that's just a pair of shoes. <laughs> God save America. And the church so imitating her. Okay, I'll close with pointing you to Another rich young man in the Old Testament. Just, just tell you the story briefly. And then somebody you can admire. Gehazi. Do you remember the story? No, you don't remember the story. Who in, who in the world is Gehazi? Elisha. Remember the story of Naaman? He's got leprosy. The girl says, go to Elisha. And uh, he'll heal you. So this strong, big military figure goes from Syria to Israel and, and uh, approaches Elisha and says, there's a girl that says, you might be able to help me. And Elisha says, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and you'll be all right. And this guy's furious. Dip myself in the Jordan seven times. He's supposed to do something significant. I'm a big shot. And he leaves. And his sidekick said, he just said dip in the river. Come on, it can't hurt. Just go down and dip in the river. 
And he goes and he dips in the river seven times and he comes up and his skin is like a baby's skin. It's beautiful. He's, he's totally well. He's so thrilled. He goes back. He falls on his face. He's lost all of his pride. Grace has humbled him. He, doesn't, he didn't just lose leprosy. He lost pride. He lost false religion. And he said, I'm going to serve the living God. What can I give you? I have brought talents of silver. Now, talents is a lot. They're big, heavy. I'm going to give you anything you want. And Elisha says, Take your money. I don't want anything from you. I don't do this kind of thing for money. I don't peddle God. So love your healing and be gone. Now Gehazi is listening to this, right? He's the servant of Elisha. He's listening. He just offered you a lot of money. It's not wrong. You know, the workman is worthy of his wages and so on. And so he follows him as he leaves and he lies through his teeth. And he says, uh, two servants just arrived from, from a far country. And my master told me to come after you and ask for some two, clo- two sets of clothing and some money. And so he says, oh, yes, yes, yes. And he gives him two talents of silver. This is thousands and thousands of dollars and lots of clothes. And Gehazi takes them and goes and hides them and goes back to Elisha. Now, this is really stupid. Elisha is a prophet. And he stands, and Elisha says, where did you go? I didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Stealing leads to lying. Greed leads to other sins. And he said, I didn't go anywhere. And Elisha says, yes, you did. Let me read you the last phrases here of this text. Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever? Graduates, remember the rich young man. The leprosy that clings to you when you are in love with money is deadly. It'll look beautiful to the world. Oh, look at those beautiful sores. Last illustration of the man you can admire. I want to give you somebody you can admire. You can't pronounce his name, but you can admire him. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was lame in his legs. Ziba was his master. Solomon was king. David was king. And David was driven out of the city by his son Absalom, remember? Ziba followed David and he abandoned the crippled Mephibosheth who loved David with all of his heart. Loved David. This is a picture of us loving Jesus. He loved David. And Ziba follows him. And David says, Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? And he said, he wouldn't come because he abandoned to Absalom's side. It's a line through his teeth to describe a man. And David said, you will get his inheritance. So he gave, through the lie, gave Ziba his inheritance. Okay, Absalom is killed, a tragic story in itself. David comes back to the city, meets Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth hasn't washed or shaved the whole time he's gone. He looks at him and says, what, why didn't you go with me? He said, he lied about me. He, he abandoned me. I couldn't. I'm crippled. I love you. And David didn't know what to believe. I mean, what could he do? He's got to run a kingdom. He can't pause to do some research here. And so he says, I've decided what to do. 
Ziba gets half, you get half. And here is what Mephibosheth said. Mephibosheth, this is 2 Samuel 19.30, said, Oh, let him take it all, since my Lord, the King, has come safely home. That's what I want for you graduates so much. Somebody comes along and says, you can have this, you can have this. And you say, I cut Jesus. He's coming to me every day. He won't ever leave me or forsake me. I don't need this payoff here. So remember the rich young man, laminate your dollar to remind you of Gehazi and be like Mephibosheth. Let's pray. So Father in heaven, please, as they take these dollar bills, I pray they would put them in a folder, put them in a bank, or do something special with it so that they remember the rich young man and Mephibosheth. Amen.